It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. James W. Frick once said, Don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what they are. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me today, as always, is Jonathan Mike, co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, my friend, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, what did Jesus teach us about money? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Okay, so um, what we've got, Julie is also with us. That's right. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. <laughs> I've got a surprising statistic for you this evening. According to the Pew Research Center, only 29% of all American adults say they live comfortably. 63% of them believe they will live comfortably in the future. It's only 29% of Americans. Not very good. So let's talk about money. So coming up in today's podcast, well, death and taxes. Now, we all know what Jesus did about death, but what did he do about taxes? Did he give us any tax relief? Did he teach us about fiscal responsibility? Well, in segments two and three, we're going to answer those particular questions. And folks, let's face it, it, we've all got issues with money. How much is too much? How influential should money be in our daily decisions? What about being charitable? What about receiving? Are there guidelines? We address these in segments four and five. And to begin, we're going to figure out the differences between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. So a lot to talk about today as we address the question, what did Jesus teach us about money? Everybody needs money. Like it or not, money is one of the driving forces that contribute to a successful life. As Christians, we all know that we need to be aware of how we handle our money. As Christians, we also look to Jesus for the core values of our entire lives, so observing what he said about money is big. It's been said that 40% of what Jesus said in his parables had to do with money. Now, while Jesus did talk about money regularly, he wasn't necessarily teaching about it more than anything else. Consider that in all of Jesus' recorded experiences, and this is fascinating, in his experiences and his teachings, we have no example of Jesus ever having money, or even ever touching money. So why would we want to learn about money from someone who never had any? Well, because he's Jesus. Because he holds the key to eternal riches. Because he demonstrated exactly how money should be used and how to avoid becoming its slave. So today, folks, listen, if you have less than adequate in terms of your money, please stay with us. This is something for you. If what you have is adequate, please stay with us because there's something here for you. And if you have more than is adequate, then please stay with us because there's plenty here for you as well. This is for all of us. Jesus addresses the idea of wealth in Matthew 6. He just taught his disciples to pray, and he just told them to fast in secret so as not to draw attention uh, to their piety. 
he now addresses wealth. So he talks, he's going to talk about accumulating. Accumulating for the sake of collecting shows an earthly, self-centered focus. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 throughout the podcast, verses 19 through 34. We're just going to take verse 19 at this point. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, don't store up treasures on earth, moth, rust, thieves, all bad toward those treasures. Let's get a little background on these things. Julie, we've got some commentary from Albert Barnes on this. He said this, treasures or wealth among the ancients consisted in clothes or changes of raiment, as well as gold, silver, gems, wine, lands, and oil. It meant an abundance of anything that was held to be conducive to the ornament or comfort of life. As the Orientalists delighted much in display in splendid equipage, and of course I had to look up equipage, that means the ornamental decoration or equipment, like perhaps a huge table service or a horse-drawn carriage with servants. So they liked splendid equipage and costly garments. Their treasures, in fact, consisted much in beautiful and richly ornamented articles of apparel. Okay, so treasures then were much more than a pile of gold coins. It was much bigger than that. It was apparel. It was art-type things. A lot of other things went into treasures from those days. And, you know, the Scripture says where moth or rust won't destroy. Jonathan, Henry Alford on the rust aspect of the Scripture. Rust. The word is more general in meaning than mere rust. It includes the wear and tear of time, which eats into and consumes the fairest possessions. So the idea Jesus is saying is don't let you yourselves be caught up in things that eventually are just going to go away all by themselves in the natural course of life. That's the, that's a basic lesson. We're going to expand on that in a great way. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, really give us something to get, get a hold of here as we begin to talk about wealth and so forth. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. Riches make themselves wings. Isn't that the truth? Because money can disappear at every time, but what a visual. So you don't want your riches to fly away with wings, okay? So what we have to do is put ourselves in a position where we are focusing on the right things. How do you do that? Well, that's what Matthew 6 really is all about. Accumulation should be heavenly, okay? Great. What does that mean? What are we supposed to be storing up? So let's look at Matthew 6, 20 and 21. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Rick and Julie, what do you see in your heart? What is sitting there that you're focusing on and is it something that's heavenly or is it something that's earthly? Well, you know what? It's too early in the podcast to really be able to answer that question. So we're going to isolate that by going through, here's an interesting idea, going through what Jesus tells us to, to figure out how to pull all of this together. So the storing up we're talking about here is heavenly. Peter sums up Jesus' teaching in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And you know, especially verse 4, there's a tremendous similarity to the very words that Jesus is speaking here. And this is from the Young's literal translation. 
Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to the abundance of his kindness, did beget us again to a living hope through the rising again of Jesus Christ out of the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, reserved in the heavens for you. He's talking about heavenly inheritance. Okay, this is it, you know, heavenly treasures and inheritance incorruptible, undefiled and unfading. Jesus earlier said, don't store up treasures where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. The difference between moth, rust, and thieves versus incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading. Pretty dramatic stuff. We need to get specific, though, as to what all of this means. See, because even though we're heavenly focused, we still have to be earthly responsible. And don't ever forget this point. Yes, be heavenly focused but you must maintain earthly responsibility. 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. Uh, And Rick, uh, so we are asking, what is your treasure? And what is wealth for a Christian? Okay. What is it? What is it? Let's start to get specific. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. Well, what is my treasure, and is it transferable? You know, can you do a wire transfer with my treasure to heaven, or does it have to be an entirely different transfer, uh, different treasure altogether? This is something we need to dig into and and get get our arms around, and that's what we're doing throughout this podcast, because Jesus tells us how to do it. So, Jonathan, for each point we make, we're going to have a spiritual money management kind of conclusion. What's our spiritual money management conclusion for this introduction so far? Every significant action is goal-oriented. Our goal must be heavenly when we deal with our earthly possessions. Everything of significance has to be goal-oriented. This is really what Jesus is saying. If you're going to store up treasures in heaven, you have to know what you're working towards. So where are my goals? Are my goals heavenly when I deal with earthly possessions? And you think, well, how, how can that possibly be? Well, that's what we're here to really, really talk about. This sounds like a simple and logical start, but it carries with it a massive paradigm shift regarding our money. Jesus has just told us to focus on heaven, But does he follow up by explaining how to do that? Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Jesus not only follows up on how to embrace heavenly treasure, he lays out seven specific steps we need to take to get there. Now, these seven steps are not physical action steps. They are perception and decision steps. Once our minds can grasp the most important things, our hearts can now own them. Once again, once our mind grasps the most important thing, it can then be owned by our heart, and that's how you store up treasures in heaven that's what all of this is about. You need to stay with us. But before we get into the, 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 the nitty-gritty, Julie, there's a, there's a quote that I think you, uh, you really chuckled about before the, uh, the podcast. 
Uh, all my bills say outstanding. I guess that means I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, it does mean you have to pay them. Though. Let's remember that. Okay. Outstanding. All right. So we had mentioned Jesus had talked about seven steps to heavenly treasure. So Jonathan, what's the first of those seven steps? Choose clear, spiritually-based light to shine upon our life path. Choose clear, spiritually-based light. What does that mean? Well, let's look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? And uh, Rick, the other day you said, all light is not godly light. Some light comes from the wrong source. What did you mean by that? You know, there's a lot of light in our world. And what we need to do is look at the light, look at the enlightenment, if you will, of the people around us. And yes, even in some of the church systems and say, is this light that actually comes from God? And to be blunt, when you look at Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures on earth. And yet there are versions of the quote gospel unquote that say, yes, Jesus wants you to have treasures on earth. Well, if Jesus says, don't store them up, and you, it, it doesn't make sense. There's a, there's a basic contradiction. I am submitting to you that from a scriptural standpoint, that is not godly light, but that is convenient light. Convenience is rarely godly. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it at that. That's what we mean. There can be light that is actually full of darkness. We have to use great care in choosing the appropriate sources of light for our eyes. That's what this is all about. Um, As we go through the podcast, we're going to talk about Christian fiscal responsibilities and Christian fiscal attitudes. So, Julie, let's get started. What's our first Christian fiscal responsibility in relation to this clear spiritual eyesight? We want to maintain a lawful and respectable standing in society by being honest with our earthly taxes and accounting. Okay. Even though we all hate taxes. That's... (laughs) But we have to be honest. Jesus actually taught us to do that. Matthew 22, verses 17 through 21. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So they're trying to trip him up, and he says, "You basically, I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing, oh, you foolish children, take a look at that coin, okay? Whose face is on the coin? Now, Jesus doesn't even have to hold the coin. They're going to tell him, well, it's Caesar's. Well, okay, if it's Caesar's, then give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Of course, I'm not telling people to not pay their taxes. He's telling us to be responsible— with our financial situation. It's very simple, and taxation is a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal that Jesus mentioned it twice. He mentioned it for the, the, the sort of the federal tax, if you will, in terms of what was happening here. And then there's another Christian fiscal responsibility that Jesus talks about taxation again. So, Julie, what's the second uh, Christian fiscal responsibility? Simply pay the taxes you owe rather than splitting hairs of technicality. 
Okay, and you know, think about it. Don't we like to say, if I could just do it this way, then maybe if I interpret what's required that way, maybe I just don't have to, maybe. Stop and listen. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma, which is the Jewish temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or strangers? When Peter said, From strangers. Okay, so Peter says, From strangers. And we're going to pause there in the middle of the scripture because Jesus is, he he was asked, Well, do do you pay the Jewish temple tax? Okay, all right, you pay the federal tax, if you will, to Rome. What about the Jewish temple tax for our, 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 our spiritual municipal services here, okay? And so Jesus asks Peter, well, you know, are taxes drawn in, in, in a house, taxation, is it drawn from the sons, or is it from those who serve? And Peter says, well, obviously it's from those who serve. Jesus is making a technical point about liability to have to pay taxes. Here's what he says about this technical point. Go ahead, Jonathan. Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So Jesus says, okay, if you're a son, I'm a son. I'm technically, technically not liable to have to pay this tax. By God's standards, Jesus was above this tax. But he also knew that those who collected the tax would not even begin to understand that. So he said, you know what? We're going to pay the tax. So by the way, go fishing, catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth, you're going to find a coin. It will cover the tax for you and I. Now, don't try this at home, okay? (laughs) This is not the way we do it. But Jesus was making a point. I don't have to pay the tax. And essentially, God was providing that the tax be paid and he wasn't splitting hairs of technicality. And why be a distraction to the right. people and just move on, right? Right. His ministry was bigger than that. He could have made a big point about it and stood firm on that, and it would not have been the gospel. And so it's so important for us to realize that, you know what, don't split the hairs of technicality. Just, just, just get these things out of the way because your life is bigger than this. It has to do with eyes that are clear and able to see. So... Jonathan, our spiritual money management in relation to the spiritually based light that we're supposed to be seeing clearly. Honesty and integrity regarding legal money matters keeps us above reproach. It's really simple. And, you know, and and folks, obviously you would expect that we would say this. Honesty and integrity regarding legal money matters keeps us above reproach. Well, what about illegal money matters? Stay away, period. It's really simple. I don't want to be misquoted. Well, Rick just said legal matters. Well, you know what? Be full of righteousness. Be supportive for the things that are around you. That's what Jesus showed us how to do. So, Jonathan, before we get to our second uh, step to heavenly treasure, what uh, another quote I would have never imagined 
going into a bank wearing a mask and asking the teller for money. <laughs> That's a COVID-19 quote if I ever saw one. <laughs> Look, my wife works in a bank, and, you know, it is a strange thing to have people coming in with masks and, <laughs> and taking money out because she's been robbed before, okay? So it's a strange thing that you have to get used to. Okay, let's get to And she also, uh, Trish just came in and just handed me a question uh, that's just want to address that temple tax one more time. She said, is this temple tax the same as tithing? And, and the answer is no. Tithing was a specific percentage um, for uh, each family that was to be given from a Jewish perspective. Tithing is not a Christian requirement. It was a Jewish requirement. This was different to support the temple. So just want to make that clear. Under Roman government, this is how they did some of those things, and we're able to do uh, serve the people, if you will. Okay, our second step to heavenly treasure. The first step was about clear eyes. What's the second step? Using spiritually based light clearly focuses us on having one God. Okay, that, that that's pretty simple. Okay, well, of course we're supposed to be focused on having one God. Ah, my friend, here's the problem. The problem is when it comes to financial matters and matters of comfort. It's really easy to not just have one God. And that's why Jesus says, make sure your eyes are working clearly. And then in Matthew 6, 24, the very next thing he says after, have spiritual eyesight, make sure the light in your eyes is godly light, not earthly light. Here's what he says next. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't do it. And if you'd like to try, you can't do it. What we must learn to do is use wealth, if we have it, to serve God. You can't serve both. One must become your servant, okay? And you can't make God your servant. Therefore, how do you go through life and make whatever it is you have that which serves you as you serve God? That's the big challenge. Jesus is going to walk us through that as we continue to develop this whole thing. So, Julie, what's our next Christian fiscal? Now, this is a Christian fiscal attitude rather than responsibility. Understand that whatever abundance you may have, it's simply a tool for being rich towards God. And having abundance can start to make you feel entitled to a certain style of living. And here in America, we struggle with much excess and many choices to get you to part with your money. And advertisers constantly tempt us by what's new and improved, making you feel old and inferior. So we have to be on guard. <laughs> All right. New and improved versus old and inferior. The whole point of this is whatever abundance you have, it's got to be a tool toward being rich toward God. We really have to focus on this. Without that kind of focus, folks, we lose our way. Why do you think Jesus spent all of this time in Matthew 6 talking about money and matters of, of living? Because he knows it's really easy to lose your way. And so he's teaching us step by step by step. And the first step is have only one God. Have your eyes work clearly and have only one God. Luke 12 uh, 15 through 21, we're actually going to read uh, a few of the verses and kind of fill in the gaps and then continue. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, 
for not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That's such a powerful statement. Not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And Jesus takes that statement and he builds a parable about the rich man whose land was very productive right after that statement. Now in this parable, the rich man has great abundance. He tears down his barns to build bigger ones so he can proudly sit back and relax. In the story, his life comes to an abrupt end, and the parable ends with verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, you know, he's introduced in the story as a rich man, but by the end of the story, he's a rich fool. But he isn't criticized for having barns. The problem is he keeps building bigger ones. And we hear we don't stockpile grain, but we build bigger retirement accounts and college funds and real estate. We're supposed to be wise stewards so that it's we're not, if possible, living off of someone else's hard work. But how do we balance, Rick and Jonathan, appropriately saving, meaning not being careless with our future, but also not building these bigger barns? When are we saving and when are we hoarding? And that's a really important and actually a difficult question. And the idea of this parable is that, again, what Jesus said before the parable, your life is more than your possessions. You should build up your retirement account. You should. This is an appropriate thing to do. We should financially plan for our futures because that's being responsible. The point of the parable that Jesus was saying is, This man wasn't godly at all. He was just focused on himself, and the idea of having this grand dream couldn't come to pass because his life was required of him that night, that very night. So there was no fulfillment in that. Whereas from a spiritual perspective, okay, let's say you did do well in your financial planning and so forth, and now you have a significant retirement account. The idea is, do you say, let me buy that bigger house so I can grandstand and show my wealth? Or do we say as Christians, let me take this and see how I can support ourselves well and comfortably by God's grace and do what we can for the work of the gospel and for those who are in need. I think that's the, that's the idea. So it's not, this is not against building things up and being responsible. No, no, no. It's against the attitude of it's about me and it's about having one God. We can't serve God in riches um, at the same time. We can't serve God and, uh, and self at the same time. It just. I, I have a quick quote. Go ahead. Okay, this is from uh, a song called Gimme What You Got by Don Henley. He was, at the, he was in the Eagles band. It says, you don't see no hearses with luggage racks. <laughs> Think about that. I love that. And, and really, we need to be aware of our mortality and the idea that God is blessing us so that we can bless others. You know, he's not blessing you because you're such a good person. He's blessing you to give you tools to bless others through the gospel, through charity, and we'll get, we'll get into that as we, as we go. First um, Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And uh, when we give our life to God, We give all that we have to him, and in return, God hands it back to us and expects us to use it in his service. And uh, a personal experience, uh, in my life, uh, I've been in the service business for about 24 years, 
and I do um, minimal advertising, and I asked God to help me with my schedule so I wouldn't be doing more than I needed, but enough to provide for my family. It seems as though whenever I lose a client, they are replaced with someone else when needed. You know, and, and that's, that's an important observation, Jonathan, and, you know, that, that actually jumps ahead to the end of the podcast, which is Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God and His Righteousness, and these things will be added. And there is much to be said for having the right priorities and having one God seen through clear eyes. So it's a great example to plant right here about looking toward the right things first. What's our spiritual money management point for uh, this portion of the segment? A single-minded, godly focus requiring money matters will help to keep us from self-centered thoughts and actions regarding the future. Single-mindedness keeps us from selfish thinking. Single-mindedness keeps us from selfish thinking. You can't serve God and wealth. Single-mindedness. Success should not look forward to, self, to self-centered leisure, but rather look forward to God-centered opportunities. See clearly and serve only God. How do we practically do these things while paying our bills? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. The reality that so many Christians live is live in is simple. I do love God and serve God, but I'm often overwhelmed by what it takes to keep food on the table and to pay all my bills. Finding balance and peace in managing these things is a big part of living a successful Christian life. You know, and earlier we talked about, you know, if you have a little bit less than adequate, stay with us. And, and, and if you have adequate, stay. And, and if you have more than adequate, we've, we've talked about a little bit about the more than adequate. Now we're going to get down to the, how do you manage when it's a lot harder? Okay, that's, that's really what we want to focus on here at this moment. Um, finding the balance, finding the peace and putting all of these things together. So before we get into that, though, Julie, we have another quote. There's, all of these quotes we're doing are, are from anonymous sources, but they really are kind of cute. What's the next one? Why must I prove that I'm me when I pay my bills over the phone? Did someone else call to pay my bills? And if they did, why don't you let them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's my winner. <laughs> Okay, so (laughs) we have to pay our bills, all right? So, you know, we've talked about so far two steps to heavenly treasure. The light, making sure the light in our eye is godly light, not some other kind of light. The second step was you can't serve God and mammon. You have one God. What's our third step to heavenly treasure? Recognize, clearly see that your life is now in God's hands, and by following his principles— We have no need for worry over the experiences of life. We have no need for worry over the experiences of life. Okay, why do we say that? Well, because Jesus says that next, okay? Matthew 6, 25 to 26. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor for your body as what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they, that they do not sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Okay, so he's saying, don't be worried about your life, about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about these things. Look at the birds of the air. Well, look, here's an interesting side note. Birds don't just hang around with their mouths open, unless they're babies. They feed themselves. As a matter of fact, they feed themselves up to half their body weight, and some of them even more, every single day. And Rick, I, I learned an interesting fact recently. Robins eat up to 14 feet of earthworms each day. Ew. <laughs> I don't know. She says, ew. I say, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and did they have a tape measure? Like, okay, almost there. <laughs> it's a lot of worms. Well, you know what? But the, the point is they work to get their food, okay? And he says, you know, God, the Father feeds them. The Father feeds them by providing the earthworms. Not worrying does not, being, does not mean being irresponsible. Yeah, but financial insecurity is such a huge issue for many people, and people are suffering. Finances are a leading cause of stress in a relationship, and money problems are often a reason for divorce. You know, there's something called financial infidelity. That's when couples have secret bank accounts or undisclosed debt or hidden purchases or gambling addictions. And can we really say, oh, follow his principles and you won't have any need to worry over the experiences of life, kind of like it's sewn onto a pillow. Isn't that too simple to tell someone who's suffering with these things? Well, you know, that is a simple thing to say. But, and, and so we have to go a little bit deeper with it because what Jesus is saying is don't worry. He's not saying don't pay attention. He's not saying don't be responsible. He's not saying don't respond to the issues that you have in your life. He's just saying, don't worry. And why is he saying that? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you are being held in the palm of God's hand. And that means, just like his illustration, the birds are fed by God. No, they're not literally fed by God. He created the worms so the birds could eat them. That's, the, that's what he means. Go ahead. And this is also, it's a test of faith for us. Because, look, we're going to all go through periods of famine. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in their lives go through difficult periods. So the point is to not worry, but it is to be diligent, be responsible, have integrity, be looking, uh, be energetic to see how God can help you help yourself, because I think really that's the bottom line. The bird has to go look for food, so do we. Let's let God. Jonathan, your example earlier was, was exactly along these lines. You don't worry, you, you, but you do the right things. So God can bless you in those. So what's our Christian fiscal responsibility point based on this not worrying over the experience of life? All right, I love this. Very simple. Look before you leap, count before you spend, and consider before you decide. Okay, why do we say that? Because Jesus said that. Luke 14, verses 27 to 30. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Look before you leap, count before you spend, consider before you decide. Jesus is saying to be cognizant 
of what it is you are getting yourself into. Okay, so I've got a a story for you. My first money lesson that set me on a path to responsible savings was from my grandparents. I was 17 years old and I needed a car to get to work. The car I chose was $10,000 and they agreed to give me the money to buy the car in full, interest-free, but it was a loan. It wasn't a gift. I signed a contract that said I had to pay $100 a month until the loan was paid in full. My grandpa even bought a receipt book and I got a formal receipt for each payment. I had a minimum wage job, which at that time was $3.35 an hour. And I learned that making $100 takes a long time (laughs) and it's hard work. And every month I paid that $100, it meant something to me. It made me value the work I did and it made me value the car that I drove. I was able to double up on payments and paid it off early. And we even had a little ceremony where we burned every (laughs) monthly receipt and then the contract itself. This made a huge impact on me. And I'm very appreciative now, I wasn't as much then, that he didn't just buy me the car because it taught me so many lessons. Wisdom. There's great wisdom. There is clear eyes in that wisdom, clear spiritual eyes. You not only learned a physical earthly lesson, but it's that lesson of integrity that applies to so many spiritual things. What a great, great example. Romans 13.8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And the uh, New International Version of that says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I think it's very important to pay back what we owe, just like me paying my grandfather back every month as we agreed. But I've got a question. You know, you're not supposed to owe anything, but what about if you need to borrow money for a house and you need a mortgage? Or like I did with my grandfather, I, I had a car loan. What does that mean? Owe no, no one to anything. You know, I, Nothing I, to anyone. I, I think that one of the things that we have to understand is the, the necessity part of life. Necessity in our world requires not having a horse and a cart, but a car to get from place to place so we can gainfully employ ourselves. That's not something that the average person, you can't earn the money until you have the car kind of thing. So those kinds of debts are acceptable, but not in excess. You know, your monthly payments when you were working that minimum wage job may have been kind of difficult, but you made your payments and you mentioned that you were able to double up on some, which means that it was affordable. There's the key. It wasn't more car than you could afford. When we buy a house, it should not be more house than we can comfortably afford. That's hard for a lot of folks because you see, and they say you can qualify for this mortgage and you can get this much house and you say, well, they say we can afford it. Well, in my experience, most people can't afford what they think they can afford and it's a rude awakening. So the idea is not necessarily to not have any debt at all. I wouldn't be borrowing from other people to, to, to buy better clothing and things like that. I would take care of those debts with the greatest of responsibility, and I would not bite off more than I could choose. Look before you leap, count before you spend, consider before you decide. And just a quick, quick tidbit for how to figure that out. If you want to buy a car and the car payment's going to be $450 a month, and you say to yourself, oh, I can afford it. Really? Go three months and save the $450 before you buy the car. Prove that you can actually afford it. And after that three months... Look back and say, was I able to live? Because this is what it's going to be like. And incidentally, then you have an extra $1,350 to put down on the car. Just saying. (laughs) Just a little, little, little piece there. Okay. Debt should be carefully managed. Okay. Several scriptures show 
people in trouble as a result of debt. So let's take a look at that. Proverbs 22, 7 is a great text. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Ouch. Just for a practical advice, don't spend every dime you earn. Yeah. You know, you don't need everything. You don't need the latest, the greatest, the whateverest. Um, and a good text for this was Philippians 4, 11 to 13. And the Apostle Paul says, um, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And I can do this through him who gives me strength. So I think that's just don't spend every dime you earn. Saving is important. It really is. We, we have got to be aware. And, I, and this is the, these are the things Jesus is teaching us. Don't, you know, building that tower. Now, he's talking about, you know, considering the cost of following Jesus, but the principle is the same. Don't start on something financially you're not able to finish because it just means disaster for you and everybody around you. How about money and marriage? According to a new survey by Ramsey Solutions, Money fights are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. Results show that both high levels of debt and a lack of communication are major causes for the stress and anxiety surrounding household finances. Ouch. And so, folks, so Jesus gave us principles to manage all of these things. If we would back up, slow down, have clear eyes, have one God— and recognize that God doesn't, doesn't mean that we worry over our experiences, we could actually move forward here. Um, let, let's get our spiritual money management point here, and then we'll go on to the next, next, uh, next session. Go ahead, Jonathan. With clear spiritual sight, all decisions regarding essentials, spending and borrowing, are considered thoughtfully and energetically in the light of God's providence. And why do we say they're considered energetically? Because it's so easy to say, uh, you know, I'm not sure if we should do this or do that. And, you know, you kind of hem and haw and you say, oh, let's just do it. That's not considering something energetically. That's just giving in to what you want. Okay, energetically means putting the effort in spiritually to say, is this in line with my, my life of serving God? Ju- Julie, you had a point? Well, I was just going to back up with Jonathan said about a marriage. You know, it's so important to have a spouse that is on the same page yep. spiritually and monetarily, because if you're saving and you're doing this and you're, you, you have you, the money's earmarked for this and your spouse is out doing whatever with it, you, you're never going to be on that same page. So that's more equally yoked. Yeah. And, and again, that's a whole other subject, but an important one. And Jesus is teaching us the principles. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, um, this scripture, another one in Matthew 6, this is verse 3, that says, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing, meaning when you are uh, giving to the needy, keep it between that person and the Lord, and even send it anonymously. Also, the same concept when you're donating to your church group, it may be best to do it in a way where you don't, they don't know where it comes from, but God knows. You know, there's such power in that because it takes the pride out of it. And I've had the, the great privilege of being the person who delivers the anonymous gift from one individual to another. And I'll tell you, there's no better job than that because you get to see the face of the person who desperately is in need and to be able to hand them something that's going to really, really help them. And they'll look in their eyes and the tears on their face and they're like, where did this come from? And my instructions were to just say, God bless you, be wise. Awesome. And, and then to go back to the person who gave and say, you should have seen the look on their face. You know, it's just, it, there's beauty. There's beauty in the humility 
of helping one another. There really, truly is. Okay, Jonathan, uh, a quick quote before we go to our next point. I am so broke, I can't even afford to fill up my bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could be a problem. But you know what? Sometimes we're in that situation. So what's our fourth step to heavenly treasure then? Don't worry, for you can clearly see your time on this earth is in God's hands. This is the greatest life assurance policy you could ever have. Not life insurance, life assurance. Our time is in his hands. That's the greatest assurance we could ever have. Matthew 6, 27 from the Matthew 6 verses. And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? You can't do it. As a matter of fact, being worried medically takes time off of your life. So, Julie, what's our Christian fiscal responsibility here? Invest in others when they have need. Don't do everything for them, but do help them with the opportunity to be able to stand and retake control of their lives. This is important. Invest in others when they have a need. Don't do everything, but do enough to help them so they can help themselves. A great parable about this is coming up in Luke 10, 25 through 37. We're not going to read all the verses. We'll do some summing up. But Jonathan, let's get it started. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus talks to this lawyer and, and asks the lawyer, what do you think? And the lawyer says, to love God and your neighbor as yourself, so forth. And so Jesus presses him to expand his thinking by next speaking the parable of the Good Samaritan, because the lawyer asks him, well, who's my neighbor? So this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, features a Samaritan man who spent his time and money to help a complete stranger. This spending is the source of our, of our present fiscal lesson here today. Jesus tells the story, and finishes the story of the Good Samaritan by saying this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So here's the thing about the Good Samaritan, and and we're actually doing a podcast on the Good Samaritan in a few weeks, so we're not going to get into the details, but this is a wonderful, wonderful story. But the Good Samaritan doesn't replace what was stolen. The guy was robbed along the, uh, on the road and beaten up and left there essentially to die. The, the Good Samaritan gives, the, gives this man the opportunity to get back on his feet. He doesn't replace what was stolen from him. He gives him the opportunity to reclaim his life. So he gives him the opportunity to go to work and be responsible for himself. That is how we invest in others. That's one of the fiscal lessons that Jesus is teaching us. What's our spiritual money management lesson here, Jonathan? Because our time is in God's hands, our efforts to generously support those we come across are also in his hands. Support with wisdom. Don't fill a need and create a needy person. It's one thing to fill a need. It's another to create someone who is now needy. Jesus never taught us to do that. We have to be careful and focused. God is not making my life easier by taking on my responsibility. He's helping me manage my responsibilities. What about how we look? Will God's care provide us with the best clothing at reasonable prices? (laughs) Personal Bible study is so rewarding. 
So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? Well, when you think about it, outward appearance is not merely nearly as fundamental as food and shelter, and yet we often fuss over it just as much or even more. It's interesting that Jesus in these verses walks us through the more important matters of survival first and then addresses this one. So now as we focus on this segment, you know, we've gone through these uh, previous four steps to heavenly treasure, having the light in our eyes be clear having one God, not serving God and wealth, having our experiences in the hands of God, having our time in the hands of God. So before we get to this fifth step to heavenly treasure, Julie, another quote. My wallet is like an onion. Opening it makes me cry. <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and that's funny, but you know, sometimes that's the way it is. And when, when we're in that situation, it's tough. And when it's tough, that's when our spirituality can really begin to mature. If we decide that's how we want to see our lives. What's our fifth step to heavenly treasure? Don't worry about the status of your appearance, for you can now clearly see that your very being is clothed with spiritual beauty. See, there is something spectacular about Jesus making this comparison about worrying about clothing and looking sparkling versus the lilies of the field that they don't worry, they just are beautiful all on their own. We, in being called by God through Christ, have that inherent beauty as well. Are we focusing on that? For a Christian, it's the simple beauty of following Jesus that adorns us. I don't think this means that we go to sleep having no provisions for tomorrow's food or that we should expect clothes to grow on our backs like feathers. In Romans 12, 11 tells us, don't be slothful in business. Or Romans 12, 17 tells us to provide things honest in the sight of all men. First Timothy tells us where to provide for our own. So we need to make some reasonable provisions for what we need. We do. Jonathan, you had, you had something? Um, the Matthew 6? Yeah. 28 through 30. And why are you worried about clothing? No, no, after, I thought that you had a comment after that. I'm sorry, I misread your, uh, your, your sign oh. there. I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, the main point of uh, the Matthew 6 scripture, uh, which we didn't read. Oh, we didn't read it? About the lilies of the field. Did I forget to read it? Yes. Well, hey. That's that's why I wanted to read it. Well, you know, so so here's a classic example of him trying to help correct me without having to correct me. Well, Jonathan, just correct me already, will you? (laughs) It's a fantastic scripture. Why don't you read it? That's a great idea. I love that idea, Rick. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. And Rick, the thing I wanted to say was the main point here is that we uh, look, how do we look before God? Uh, If we're dressed too fancy or too poorly, both could be a distraction in representing God's message. 
And so, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a marvelous scripture. See, I had, I had it in my head, and that's why I thought we read it, but <laughs> obviously we didn't. And, and, and you're right. What we need to do is have that sense of godliness that says it's not all about being sparkly. It's not all about being so, so uh, appearing so, so humbly. Equipage. Yeah, not, it, not appearing so equipage. That's right. Not so full of equipage or something like that. Um, uh, and it's not about being the opposite either. It's about be presenting yourself in a way that is commonly acceptable and godly. See, that's the point. It's being godly in how we dress and not worrying because if we don't have a lot, God can make up the difference for us. I think that's really, really important. Julie, we have a soundbite coming up. Just a little background on this. Yeah, this next little tidbit came from um, uh, our credit union's newsletter from my husband's job, and he cut it out for me and left it on my dresser to remind me that it's time to purge and donate. Okay. Getting rid of stuff in our lives and moving toward a simple life is not about deprivation. It's about getting rid of the things that don't contribute to the fullness of our lives. After all, living fully does not mean having it all, going everywhere, doing everything, and being all things to all people. Many of us are beginning to see that too much really is too much. Doing too much and having too much get in the way of being able to enjoy the things we do want in our lives and to simply be who we are. Choose intelligently the things that are meaningful in your life. It may mean doing fewer things and having less stuff. So this really fits in with our spiritual beauty, which is this fifth step to heavenly treasure. So, Julie, what's our Christian fiscal attitude in relation to this? When faith is required, be faithful to it, even if it doesn't look glamorous. Accept the contributions of others to support your work, even if it doesn't suit your preferences. And I think whether we're out in front in a position to be admired or if we're somewhere where we're never noticed, our opportunities are the same in God's eyes. We can't compare to others, although we sure like to, um, because the way someone says something or does something or acts or dresses like, we can't judge them. A comparison will cause disunity. It pulls us apart because we assume what someone's thinking or what their experiences have been. So that assuming ends up getting us into all kinds of trouble and we make assumptions because we're in we're comparing comparing them to us folks that is not our jurisdiction that is not seeing with the clarity of the light that jesus says at the beginning of this whole process so jonathan let's get into a scripture that talks about the willingness to accept that which maybe isn't the greatest but is absolutely adequate luke chapter 10 um Verses 1 to 8. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. So, so Jesus is sending the 70 out, and he's basically giving a picture of, of what the gospel church is going to be doing by saying, you go out and you prepare the way for me when I'm going to go to these cities. And so you'd think, okay, this is a big production. You're, it, this, is, this is the warm-up act for Jesus coming to town. You'd want to do this in the big, spectacular way, right? Wrong. Because it's not about appearance. Here's how Jesus describes they should go. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, Carry no money belt, 
no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat what is set before you. So he says, go in great humility. And he said, you know, now he says the laborer is worthy of his wage. So he said, so if someone brings you in and is willing to, to feed you and give you a place to sleep, accept it. He says, and whatever it is they feed you, eat. And he says, don't go from house to house. What he's saying is, okay, maybe you don't like the cooking so much there. Don't look for another place except what God provided. And there's something powerful about that. Contributing to the greatest cause of all time is humble, simple, demanding work. We have to put things in order. So this idea of not worrying about the outward appearance can have to do with clothing. It could have to do with our appearance, you know, in terms of, well, I'm introducing Jesus. Shouldn't I be wearing that, that, uh, those, those designer clothes to be able to do that? No. No, really. Jesus didn't. We shouldn't. So it really comes down to that humble approach. What's our spiritual money management point here? As we journey for Christ, there are times when we may not have much. We must learn to graciously receive whatever is given, and we graciously give the gospel. And Rick, uh, I was thinking of Philippians 4 or 5. We are told, let our moderation be known unto all men. So we shouldn't be flashy and, and, and try to impress. We should be godly and, hu- and humble. You know, that's such an important thing. Let your moderation be known to all men. It's how you see things. It comes back to the clear spiritual eye, remember, with the, with the godly light. And here's the thing. If your eyes are not clear, what do you do? You have to wash them out, generally. Have you ever done that? You have pink eye, you wash it out. What do you wash it out with? Well, a saline solution. What is a saline solution? It's salt and water. That's all it is. Salt and water. In Scripture, water represents truth. Salt represents character. Good character and truth are what give us the eyes to see clearly so we see one God, we see him hold our experiences, we see him hold our time, we see him direct what is our spiritual beauty. We have to put these things in order. Another quote, Jonathan, before we go to our sixth uh, step to heavenly treasure. They say money doesn't bring happiness, but everyone still wants to prove it for themselves. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's true. And how many people have said that? Yeah, they're saying, you, can't, you know, money doesn't bring happiness, but I'd like to try, you know? I mean, <laughs> and, and, and see, the point is, it's easy to make financial things, money, property, assets, belongings, treasures, they can easily become those things which are most important. We've got to be really careful. What's our sixth step to heavenly treasure? Don't worry, as you can now clearly see that God's hand resides over all of your physical earthly needs. Okay, you can clearly see God's hand is now over everything physically that you need. His hand is over it. Why do we say this? Well, because Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 31 and 32. And Jonathan, this time I want you to read this scripture. (laughs) You got it, brother. (laughs) Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
everybody has those same questions, those same concerns. What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? How do I look? How does it, how does it come across? On and on and on and on. Jesus is saying everybody does that. Your heavenly Father knows. You're in his hand. That's enough. Spiritually clear sight means we see all of life from a different and higher perspective because we're held in the hand of God. So, Julie, what's our Christian fiscal attitude towards this clear sight of God's hand holding us? Do not be attached to wealth at the expense of following what Jesus would require of you. Okay, don't be attached to wealth at the expense of what Jesus would require. Good story for that. The experience of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus seeking eternal life. He's sincere about it. He's following the law. And Jesus knows that his heart is basically in the right place. And so Jesus says, keep the commandments. And here's the response and the rest of the story. Luke 18, we're going to drop in on verses 21 through 25. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so I've got a question, though. We just did that rich landowner with the bigger barns. He was a fool because he hoarded wealth, but he started off rich. Then this rich young man can't get eternal life until he sells all of his possessions. But the story of Zacchaeus, he got praised for giving away half of his possessions. But the rich religious rulers get criticized for giving away large sums of money out of their abundance and the widow with the, remember the widow's mite? Yep. She gave away all she had, even though she pretty much just had a couple of coins. Which of these is what we are supposed to be doing? Is the point, like, are these the specific financial plans for us? Because they all conflict. What are we supposed to do with this? No, you know, and I'm glad you said it that way. These are not specific financial plans. The rich landowner, you know, hoarding the wealth and building the barns. It's a parable of perspective. His end result was to kick back and, and look at himself. He wasn't godly, and it was a lesson in the fact that our possessions are not what our life is about. The rich young ruler, that's also a lesson of perspective. You obey while, while all is comfortable. Will you follow when it's not? That was the real question uh. Jesus was asking him. Zacchaeus gives away half his, his, his possessions. He's praised for generosity and true repentance. He says, if I've cheated, I'm going to restore fourfold what I cheated because I was wrong. That was the goodness of Zacchaeus. That was a generous thing that he wanted to do to show his heart was in the right place. Um, the, the, the rulers get criticized for giving large sums of money out of their abundance. You know, it wasn't necessarily a criticism. It was saying it's very easy for them to do that. It's easy to give $1,000 when you've got— oh, it didn't cost them anything. Right. When you've got $6 million, giving 1000 is easy. Oh. Okay. For this woman, this, this widow who gave the, those two mites, it's not to say that she was going to starve to death. It, but that was essentially the discretionary money that she had, and to her, that money was everything, and it went to God's service. So these are all lessons of perspective. We don't take these, any one of them, and say, this is what I should do financially. We learn the lessons of attitude and understanding so we can apply them in the right way. J uh, Jonathan, our final spiritual money management lesson here for this segment. Money is a tool. Using it is a talent, and possessing it is a privilege. 
Every faithful Christian must understand the spiritual responsibilities of having, using, giving, and receiving it. Giving and receiving. There is so much to learn. We need to be good, humble receivers as well as humble givers. It all seems to come down to what we are attached to. Spiritual attachments bring earthly detachments. What is the final bottom line? How should our experiences with money impact our walk with Jesus? Our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy-to-follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We never sell or give away your information and you can unsubscribe at any time it's easy so just send us a text and you'll be subscribed so the bottom line is whether we're talking about character jealousy pride relationships business or money it's always the same we continually need to check and recheck our deepest priorities and ensure that we are not veering off course and back to earthly thinking and ways. We have to stay with the clear eyes of spiritual thinking, the clear light that comes from above, not light that comes from some other source that just looks nice and happens to be more convenient. Uh, A quick quote here before we get our final uh, step to heavenly treasure. Sometimes I just want someone to hug me and say, I know it's hard, but you'll be okay. Here's a coffee and a million (laughs) dollars. You know, look, you face it, you know, so, yeah, well, so many times we have that, that feeling that boy, you know, it would be so nice too, if, if only we could, you know, and it's kind of like a, a fantasy thing and, and, you know, all well and good, but let's remember that God has us in the perspective and the experiences we're in for really specific reasons. And they're to develop us spiritually so we can help others. How you doing with where you are? How are you doing with that? Seventh step to heavenly treasure, Jonathan, what is it? Because God has all aspects of your life in his hand, you can now freely focus on which is most important, seeking God's kingdom. Okay. Jesus has brought us to this. He said, have the light of God in your eye, lighting your way. Make sure that the first thing you see is there's only one God. Make sure that your experiences are being handled appropriately. Make sure your time is in God's hand. Make sure that your spiritual beauty is the beauty that you're worried about, that you're focused on, that it's most important. Make sure that everything, all of your your days and experiences are held literally in the palm of God's hand so that you can do this. Rick uh, and Julie, it's simple. Treasures in heaven are eternal. Treasures on earth are temporary. Yeah. That's right. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be enough trouble of their own. Uh, uh, all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Seek first the kingdom. All these other things will be added to you. Does God say, you're going to be made so wealthy you can't even stand it? No. He's talked about the necessities of life. 
if you're in a place where they're talking about having much more than is adequate, you've got to rethink what, where does that teaching actually come from. Know the most important thing and do everything with that most important thing in mind. I really appreciated this lesson because I, in reading this, I never saw before that Jesus gave us these seven steps. And so with these six, he first cleared them all out of the way so we don't have to worry about them. And now that he's dealt with all of these worries that every one of us has in life at some point, we can now concentrate on the true treasure, which is being part of God's kingdom. So I think this is a really important scripture to meditate on when we're feeling anxious, this don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. Um, we don't worry about what's out of our control because we know it is completely under God's control. Exactly. And an example, what about the first Christian con convert, Cornelius? Hmm. How did he seek God's kingdom first? He was, wasn't he a soldier of Rome? Yeah, you know, when you're a soldier of Rome, you're pretty much a soldier of Rome for life. So what is it that you can do to, to be a Christian? Well, look, God called him first, so obviously he was able to be faithful. And the point was, he didn't have to, to leave all of that. He could be faithful in the place and in the way that God called him. That's an important aspect of this. Seek first the kingdom. His spirituality was magnificent. When you look at the story of Cornelius and how he would follow along with the Jewish law, long before Peter ever came to see him. He wanted to serve God. He just didn't know how. And then Peter shows up, and the God's Spirit is given to he and his household, and he becomes a faithful servant. So God calls us. He knows who we are. He knows where, where we're weak. And yet he can use us anyway. What's our, our fiscal responsibility point here, Julie, for Christians? Exhibit generosity and understanding towards others above the demands of justice. This perspective will dictate how you receive from our Father. Okay. Generosity and understanding toward others above the demands of justice. Think about this. And, and this, is, this is a big, big point. Luke 6, verses 30 to 38. We'll stop in the middle. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Okay, so let's pause there because we don't want this to be misunderstood. Jesus is saying, well, if you lend from those who you expect to get the money back, what credit is that? Does that mean that we should lend and say, here, I'm going to lend you the money, wink, wink, but really I know you'll never pay me back, wink, wink, so here, let me lend you this money so you can go do whatever it is you want to do. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is have generosity and understanding beyond what would be expected in a normal situation. So there are times when lending may be appropriate, where that person, because of their circumstances or because of their lack of maturity or whatever it is, isn't going to be able to pay you back. Okay, so what? Jesus is saying it's only money. And if you are trying to help someone and build someone up and you give and it's not, it's not reciprocated, it's okay. You did what you thought was the right thing to do. 
And I've actually had that experience. And it's an interesting experience. Uh, and, and, and Julie, in, in one experience, it was set up very much like your, your grandfather. You know, we set up a payment schedule and all this, and it, it just never happened. And, you know, when I lent that money to that individual many years ago, I knew that that was a very real possibility, and I really believed God wanted me to help them whether I got paid back or not. And it was a wonderful lesson. And to this day, never happened. And to this, you day, never got any money back. Not a nickel. And none of that gnaws at you anywhere in your not, secret soul. No, it doesn't. Because when I walked into it, I remembered this scripture and said, "You know what? This person needs help. They're nearly on the street. They have a job. They just they just got too far behind. Let me just help them." And to this day, they have been able to manage. I don't see them very much anymore. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let's rise above what every el- everybody else would expect. Be merciful. Now, don't give money away foolishly, but be merciful. Let's finish the scripture, Jonathan. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Okay, so the idea here is really, really simple. Be magnanimous with your money with your attitude, with your treatment of others. You see, Jesus isn't separating out our dollars and cents from our integrity in, in, in dealing with our enemies. He's mixing it all together. Why? Because the same principle applies to everything. Have that magnanimous attitude the way Jesus did. He loved his enemies. He died for his enemies, the people who took him captive. He died for The man whose ear was cut off, who was taking him captive, he healed him. There's this sense of just giving because that's what Jesus did. That's what he's teaching us here. All interactions with friends, neighbors, and even enemies are opportunities to let your light shine. People, and here's the interesting thing, people pay particular attention when you're generous and merciful with money. They pay particular attention, and you've got to do it in a humble way. Don't do it to draw attention to say, hey, look what I did, but do it in a godly fashion and let the actions speak as a witness to God. Just real quick, when you said that about being generous with money, my mom um, is always, uh, her, her statement is, you'll never go wrong by being overly generous. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good, you know, if you've got the option, you always just give a little bit more and you walk away and that's just the way to do it. I, I, I appreciate that lesson. And so all of these seven steps to heavenly treasure are really encouraging us to be unattached to earthly wealth especially to the desire for it. One final scripture on that, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Folks, hear the wisdom of of those words. Let's finish the scripture, Jonathan. 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We live in a culture where wanting to be rich is normal and that constant longing for this wealthy Kim Kardashian lifestyle contradicts our longing to follow Jesus. So if we see ourselves starting to get drawn into that on TV and magazines and and with people that we're looking at, we need to rein that in because that's very dangerous. It is. And Jesus' whole point with these seven steps to heavenly treasure is saying exactly that. Make sure you see clearly. Jonathan, what's our final spiritual money management lesson? Wealth and success for a Christian have nothing to do with money or treasures. They have everything to do with fully divesting our desire and attachment for these things and wholeheartedly seeking God's kingdom. Nothing wrong with having. There's something wrong with, have, with, with what you have ruling over you versus you using it as a tool to serve God. Now look, today we didn't talk about investing in the parables of the pounds and the talents or the business dealings regarding vineyards and stewards. We didn't address uh, forgiving of impossible debts or, or the lessons Jesus taught the Pharisees about fiscal perspective. We didn't talk about the widow's might just a little bit. Lots more that Jesus said about money, but these are lessons for, for another day. The bottom line, folks, is this. You know, we've been given a privilege to live at the time in which we live. Now look, right now, things may be a little bit difficult, but think about the time in which we live. Think about the abundance that the vast majority of, a majority of us actually have in relation to people in the past. We are truly blessed. So the question is, how clear is my eye with spiritual light to see that I need to serve God with this blessing? Even if it's small, I can still have incredible impact by using what I've been given to the good of someone else and to the glory of God. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week we talk about our praise and worship necessary to be a faithful Christian. A lot of times we don't think about that. Our praise and worship necessary to be a faithful Christian. Well, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>